It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. For the better part of three quarters of a century, all sorts of New Yorkers began their morning uh, with some rambling on the radio. And uh, we've only been doing this show for about two years. But uh, on our very first show, I reached out to uh, someone that I have had the privilege of working with and getting to know. And that's really the great thing about radio from my perspective, especially if you're a fan of it and then come to work in it. You get to get to befriend and get to know a lot of people that you grew up listening to and admiring. And very often they fall short of your expectations. Well, I can tell you in the case of legendary radio talk show host John Gambling, he far exceeded our expectations. He was kind enough to jo- uh, kind enough to join us for our one year anniversary, and he was doing some jet setting international travel when we had our two year anniversary. So we figured we'd make a rain date, and he's kind enough to join us this morning. John, it's great to talk with you again. I miss you. How have you been? Hey, Frank, I missed you too. Uh, you know what? We we had a, we had a wonderful time. It was it was a lot of fun the the years we worked together. Uh, that's for sure. So um, you were doing some international traveling a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a lot of people think it was some sort of conspiracy to skip out on the hurricane. Where'd you go? Uh, Wendy and I took a cruise in the Baltic. Uh, I had never been. We had never been in that uh, neck of the world before. We've, we've been fortunate, so blessed to be able to travel as you know, all over the world. And uh, that was one place we hadn't been. Uh, so we had some time on our hands in September, and we booked a cruise, and we went uh, to uh, the usual places, uh, Stockholm, and we went to Helsinki. We went to uh, Tallinn, La- uh, uh, Estonia. We went to uh, Riga, Latvia. Uh, we went to Gdansk, Poland. Uh, there were others. I mean, there, I think there was at least 12 different stops uh, that we made. We were supposed to have been stopping in St. Petersburg, mm. but my but my very good friend uh, Vlad uh, kind of ruined that. He screwed that up for us big time. Uh, uh, fortunately, I fortunately I've been to St. Petersburg a couple of times. Uh, I may ask you about the Russia situation in uh, just a moment, but uh, if you had to pick a highlight, whether it was the food, whether it was the sites, whether it was the architecture, the history, uh, the people, what would you say if you had to pick a highlight of your your Baltic excursion? What would it be? Well, I'd have to I'd have to group a whole bunch of those things: the history and uh, the, the the people could not have been nicer. Uh, I will tell you, and I've been telling my friends this. Uh, that I was I was surprised. I shouldn't have been if I had thought about it, but uh, I was on a cruise. I wasn't thinking. Um, uh, everywhere we went, each of the guides that we had that, that you know once you once you spent a, some time with them, uh, first of all, they're socialists. They love 
They love social government. They think it's the best thing in the whole wide world. Everything is provided for you. And, uh, yeah, and then when you mention that you pay 90 percent in taxes, they just kind of shrug their shoulders and go, we love it this way. And one of the things I discovered, I'll I'll try and answer your question in a second. One of the things that at least came to my mind was that a socialistic system – works in these countries, Baltic countries, because they're so small. I mean, you know, they, they have populations that there are more people living in Queens uh, than, than in, in Finland. It's uh, I exaggerate a little bit, but uh, that that's and that's why I think it works. Uh, and that's why I think most of them are happy when I say most of them. Obviously, not everybody is happy all the time. But the the thing that struck me was they are. With, without an exception, absolutely scared to death about this winter because they have no idea. Their governments have been unable to tell them or provide them with the energy necessary to heat their homes. Uh, the gas is gone. The, the uh, oil is cut, is cut off. And so every port we went into they were unloading coal from ships, and I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I never asked. I should have. Uh, I'm not sure where this coal is coming from, but they are unloading coal as fast as they possibly can. Uh, they get it off the ships, and they've got the rail cars right there. They dump it right in the rail cars, and the rail cars go off to wherever they go, and they're going to be firing up their electric plants using coal. In fact, I think they already are uh, using coal to fire up there. So, so much for... Uh, Greta Thunberg and her uh, climate change nonsense, uh, you know, her, her own country is, is, is spewing junk in the air. It's funny. The uh, time away from the radio, I see, has done nothing to change your tune on the climate change question. <laughs> no, um, speak- no in, fact, in fact, I'm even more entrenched in my anti-climate theory nonsense. Uh, speaking of uh, the weather, you obviously are a Florida resident these days, and uh, they had a very uh, rough hurricane. At, did you, when you came back and uh, you got back home, how was your property? How was your house? Everything turned out okay? Well, fortunately, yes. We had, we lost two small trees, but uh, the cage over the pool and the house, the roof on the house, and every in the windows, everything was fine. Uh, it it would have been a whole different story had that storm had Ian gone where it was originally forecast, and that's uh, right past my back door uh, up into Tampa. Uh, we live in Sarasota, uh, so it would have come right right over the house, and it would have been a different scene completely. But uh, no, we were very lucky. But having said that, not 20 miles to the south of us. It starts to get really ugly. I mean, you know, wow. you've you've seen all the pictures. It's just oh, no. uh, my 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 heart breaks for these people. About four or five years ago, we were catching up on the on the telephone, and I asked you, maybe even longer than that. I asked you, "How's Florida? How do you like living in Florida?" And your response was, "You almost paused and sighed in joy, and said, uh, in words or substance, there is nothing." not to like about Florida. Now that you've had a few more years down there, had to ride out a few more storms, see a few more alligators, what's, uh, is that still your view? Is there still nothing not to like about Florida? I think it's even better now than it was. I mean, it's just uh, every, everything about it. The longer I live here, the, the, the more um, sort of ingrained uh, in, in, in what Florida is about, and I don't mean necessarily the politics, but, but the lifestyle uh, and and the people, 
even even you people from the north coming down here, you turn into different people when you get into Florida. <laughs> I have noticed that a lot of my friends and family members that have moved down to Florida, there's a big East Coast, West Coast divide, and it comes to a lot more than geography. There's a whole cultural difference between the East Coast and Florida and the West Coast. What is the sort of the cultural difference between those two coasts? Well, you're absolutely right. East Coasters and West Coasters are two different uh, two different breeds. Um, the East Coast is very east eastern seaboard. It's a very northeast. It's very New York, New Jersey, um, uh, Maryland, and, and the, the Massachusetts and the rest of it. Uh, you come over onto the West Coast, and maybe it's because it's closer to the Midwest. But you end up with many more Midwesterners and uh, a good a good um, dose of Canadians as well. And it it, it is in my mind uh, a more relaxed environment over here. Not quite as harried. Uh, certainly not as built up as the east coast of Florida is. Uh, however, we are we seem to be chasing them as fast as we possibly can with development, and that's because. Uh, and this is just, <coughs> excuse me, that that's because, uh, and this is a recent statistic. I read that last year, three hundred and seventy-five thousand people moved to Florida. That's a thousand people wow. a day. Wow, a thousand that... people a day, and they are building houses uh, in places you wouldn't expect them to, uh, but as fast as they possibly can to meet the demand. It's it's phenomenal. Uh, on the one hand, I am surprised by such a staggering number. On the other hand, at the rate that people tell me that they're either moving to Florida or that they want to move to Florida, I'm not surprised. So that's interesting. You mentioned the politics of Florida, and people just tuning in, we're talking with uh, legendary New York radio talk show host John Gambling, a third-generation radio talk show host. And uh, there's a lot of talk that a lot of prominent Florida politicians may be major presidential candidates for the Republican Party coming up in 2024. Obviously, your governor, Ron DeSantis, has become sort of a nationwide phenom. But there's even been some talk of uh, Senator Rick Scott running for president, maybe even Marco Rubio uh, giving another chance at running for president. And obviously, I think Florida's most famous former New Yorker, Donald Trump, has uh, pretty much said that he's planning to move forward with some sort of a presidential candidacy. Do you think uh, that uh, any or all of the people that I just mentioned have the makings of a national presidential candidate in 2024? I certainly think DeSantis does. Uh, I'm, I'm very impressed with uh, Ron DeSantis. Um, he is, uh, he's affable. Uh, he's smart. He's fearless, uh, both politically and physically. I think he, 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 has ideas in his mind that he believes are the way that Florida should be going and the way the nation should be going as well. And he's not afraid to step up and just, you know, not worry about the brick and brack that comes from making decisions. So I've been I've been pretty impressed. Rick Rick Scott, uh, you know, he's running he's running for governor against DeSantis. Um, no, Charlie Crist. Is I'm sorry, governor. Charlie Chris. Yep. That, that's who I meant. I, I apologize. You're absolutely right. Um, he said something in one of his TV commercials the other day, uh, and he, he was blabbling, blah, 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 blah. And then, he, and then they said, uh, uh, you can trust me on that. 
You can trust me on that. And I turned to Wendy. I said, any politician that says you can trust me on that, uh, that's the person you have to run away from as fast as possible because they're not going to they're not going to do what they're going to do. Um, let me see if I can uh, uh, kind of circle back here to uh, some of the some of the others. Um, uh, well, obviously, you know, the big, I, I don't yeah. think I don't think Marco I don't think Marco has a chance on the on the national scene other other than his senatorial run. I think I think he will win over Val Deming. Um, uh, she is she's pretty radical. Uh, one of the things that we worry about down here, however, is uh, talking about people moving down here. We are very very concerned about the more lib- moderate and liberal point of view. That is moving in with all of these people, um, and, and we believe that they, you know they want to move to Florida for all its wonder and all its uh, many many positives, and yet then they want to change it politically, uh, which which has those of us that are on the other side of the fence uh, a little con- concerned about that. But uh, then of course we have the uh, eight thousand pound gorilla mm-hmm. uh, in the room, which of course is Donald Trump. Um, Frank, you know you know that I've known Donald forever. Right, you were um, at his second wedding to Marla Maples. I was, I was indeed. In fact, it was a very memorable evening. Um, God, I hope he doesn't run. I really hope he doesn't run. It, it's just, I, I, you know, a lot of what he did, especially in in hindsight, with uh, our, our friend uh, Uncle Joe down there, uh, eating eating. Can you believe he had somebody? Some advisor said, Joe, it's going to be great if we get a couple of shots of you with this gigantic ice cream cone when, <laughs> when, the, rest of, when the rest of the world is going down the shooter. I mean, come on. Anyway, uh, I, he's, he's just a mess. But in retrospect, Donald's programs, I, I always supported uh, or most of them, not, not all of them. It's, it's his personal act that I think is, would, would kill the republic would make it it wouldn't kill it would make it more difficult for republicans i think to run because he's so he, on the negative meter when you know from his personality it, it goes to zero instantaneously for most people so it, I, it is, I hope he do, i hope he doesn't run it, i mean uh, it is difficult to see how he's expanded his base from 2020 even uh, for folks that uh, that were were all for his policies a lot of them seem continually frustrated with a lot of the the drama i'll say that uh, that uh, they experienced not only when he was in office but even subsequent to that hey uh, one of the, you mentioned the russia ukraine situation well, one of the things that it was fascinating for me to watch uh, close up is sort of your evolution on different foreign policy issues i remember when the war in iraq started it seemed like you were willing to give the bush administration a lot of the benefit of the doubt and then you know over the ensuing 12 13 years that i watched you uh, comment on foreign policy areas you seem to be more moving more in sort of a pap buchanan-esque direction i'm curious how you view the russia ukraine situation now it seems like there's a bipartisan consensus in washington to support the ukrainians at all costs give them weapons give them money and uh, there is a very narrow constituency on the other side of that that says well all you're doing is poking the russian bear which happens to have more nuclear warheads than any country uh, on the planet. How do you view the the Russia situation? Well, I I, I guess I support the uh, um, the uh, underpinnings of the Ukrainians uh, against the Russians. 
what what the, what, uh, the Russians did with the invasion is unconscionable. Uh, with the uh, the announcement that they're going to annex uh, the areas that they have, have pointed to and have uh, added to their map uh, is just. You can't do that kind of stuff and and get away with it and walk away with it. And for those that are saying that you're taking your finger and poking the eye of the bear, well, what else are you going to do? Because if you don't do anything, old Vlad's going to just keep on trucking, and who knows where the heck he's going to stop. Having said all of that, I, I am very, very concerned about the nuclear threat because um if you've read some of the some of the books recently, um, nuclear war can proliferate in virtually a political nanosecond. You know, all it takes is one uh, really sort of innocuous international event, and before you know it, if some ba- if some questionable or mistakes are made questionable moves or mistakes are made you you it gets out of control you you just start doing stuff that you have to react and yet the reaction is deadly um i don't want to say that he's not going to throw a tactical nuke someplace but i don't know how he gets out of this i have no i can i can't come up with a scenario a political scenario where Vladimir Putin, and it's really just Vladimir Putin. It's not the Russian people. He's got no support for this. Uh, even his military is is starting to walk away and back off from him. It's only Vladimir Putin. So you've got an ego. You've got a you've got a man that is is consumed with uh, ruling the world and reconstituting the the uh, Russian state as it was before the collapse. And he is determined. And now that he's losing, he's embarrassed. And he's backed himself into a corner. And as we all know, you don't want to back people that are crazy into a corner because you have no idea what they're going to do to extricate themselves from that corner. So, um, I think I think the, the the West has a real, real sticky situation here on what what how do you react if he throws you know, a tactical nuclear weapon, which is maybe something right. a shell from an artillery piece um, or a small missile. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about intercontinental, uh, you know, megaton, gigundo, end of the world kind of stuff. I'm just talking. They have they literally have stuff that you can throw, which will destroy, quote-unquote, a limited area. But what do you do if he doesn't? Right. Well, I, well, that's I the, don't know. I don't uh, that, know. Uh, that's the $5 million question, right? I mean, uh, back when you were going to school, the way that uh, teachers it taught students to deal with the nuclear threat was uh, stop, drop, and roll, right? These days, uh, the New York City government is releasing PSAs saying if there's a nuclear attack, go inside and go down to your basement, essentially. And uh, one wonders if uh, the modern-day wisdom is any is any greater than the wisdom during the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, I, I suspect. No, I- I, back, back when I was in grammar school, 
uh, and, and they would, you know, back in the early 60s uh, when the Cuban Missile Crisis was going on, uh, they would have us, uh, and, you know, we, those that are my age remember this with, with some, some sort of nostalgia, uh, they would make us go and, and sit in the hallway with our hands over our necks <laughs> And, and, and our heads between our knees, or they would have you get under the desk. Now, that's going to do a lot when the nuclear <laughs> right. weapon gets, right. gets dropped on New York City. I don't think the desk was designed to protect you. Uh, talking with John Gambling. Uh, John, one of the reasons that you've cited, and I know you've had many opportunities to come back to radio over the years, and uh, you've uh, always demurred, I'm guessing in part because you enjoy uh, your golf and sailing schedule, but you've always said that you've kind of gotten a little frustrated, maybe more than a little frustrated with the level of toxicity in political discourse these days. And it just seems like there's just this incredible, not only polarization, but an anger when discussing political affairs. It's been maybe a year or so since we spoke on the radio about this. How do you think that is uh, developing? Is that a lack of civility getting worse? Is it getting better? Is it staying about the same? How do you view that situation? I think it's getting worse. Um, In fact, uh, I know that um, many times, unless I know the political stance of an individual that I'm with at dinner or playing golf or whatever the heck I'm doing, um, unless I know where they stand, I don't, I don't bring up politics. Uh, in fact, I try not to bring up politics most of the time. Unfortunately, uh, it has it, it, it is all consuming sure. uh, for, for most of us because it, it directly affects obviously how we live. Um, but I think the the anger and the, uh, the the really nastiness is is so troubling, um, and it is pervasive. Uh, I think not only in the political discussion, but just the general living that we all do. And I don't really care what your politics are. Mm-hmm. The anger. Uh, I mean, l- look at the anger on the streets of New York City that I read about in the New York Post every day that I read. Um, I, I, I'm stunned. I mean, there's virtually every page has a stabbing, has a pushing off into the, the subway tracks. Uh, and this is, these are people that are that are really, really troubled and unhappy. We're not going to get into this, at least I don't really want to get into it, but this is a whole mental health issue mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that there's, uh, there's no place for these people to really go. Uh, shelters are not the answer, but they, we need institutions of, of one form or another. But um, even our children are mean. They're mean and they're angry. And Frank, you know me well enough to know, and you've known me long enough to know, that back at the beginning of the social uh, internet social uh, situations uh, and places on the web, I I denounced that virtually from the beginning as mm-hmm. a potential killer, and I'm not I'm not exaggerating here, killer of society, because I think I think it is insidious. I think especially now that our, our young people have been living with it for a couple of decades, uh, their, their bodies, if you will, and, and maybe this is a, a little overstating it, but they're infected with this nonsense that the Internet uh, and, and the things that trend 
are real. Trending is, is not something that is real. Sure, there are people that are talking about this thing and the other thing, but these are, these are just people that, because of their anonymity, can sit there with their right. thumb. Keyboard and warriors. Say, and, say, and say anything they want. It, it doesn't even have to be real. It doesn't have to be even what they think. It's just they're trying to get a reaction of some sort. Um, again, I've been worried about this for a long, long time, and I'm, no, I'm not any less worried. So what do you think the solution is, John? Is, is it getting um, children as they mature and get into a digital age and a reading age to spend more time interacting with people in person, folks like your grandchildren and my son? Or is it, um, is it something else? Is there something else that can be done by adults, by parents, by children, by teachers in order to sort of, uh, I'll call detoxify the level of discussion? Because I do the same thing that you do. I find myself not not discussing politics unless people ask me about it. And it's really just because I don't want to have an argument because someone wants to vote for the other guy. I mean, I would love and, to be and able you can't and you can't have a discussion. It always right. turns into an argument. Right. Right. And that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to have a discussion, find out, you know, ask questions as to why people believe what they believe, explain why I've come to the conclusions that I've come to. And I try to do that on the show to some extent, but it's very, very challenging. And it's even more challenging when you don't have the ability to hang up on people, as is the case in real life. So what do you think the solution is, if any? Well, uh, what I'm what I'm going to answer that with is going to sound uh, to a lot of people listening here to as, as the corniest thing that they've ever heard in their life, and they'll probably accru- accuse me of being completely out of touch and unrealistic and all the rest of it. Uh, and if uh, that's the way you feel, so be it. But I think I think it comes back to the family. I think the family has been destroyed. Uh, by by all of the things that you and I have just talked about uh, on the internet and more, and the raising of children today, um, it's it's just different. The re, the the relationship uh, between the, the, that I see uh, my children having with their children, my grandchildren, is very very different from the way I raised my kids. And I am blessed with three spectacular boys and families. Uh, and, and I don't think that that was an accident. Uh, I think Wendy and I worked at it very hard. Now, we were very lucky. Uh, I'm, what I'm about to say is something that I know not very many people anymore can do because they're busy, two-income fa- two, uh, families and the like. And that is we were lucky enough to sit down because I got home early in the day to sit down for dinner every night, a family dinner every single night. And uh, I think that that is absolutely um, an event that is at the core of raising people that have a much broader and realistic understanding of the world. Yeah, it makes uh, it makes a lot of sense. And something tells me that was a dinner that was largely free of iPads and electronic devices. Oh, in, there was none of that. We, I mean, first well. of all, uh, cell phones didn't even exist. But uh, so, you know, the, the distractions and that's a very good point, Frank, the distractions uh, weren't as numerous. In fact, I can remember the first computers the kids got uh, and they were gigundo things, you know, the Macs and all the rest of it. Um so, yes, I mean, I watch my grandchildren now um, 
and uh, they sit and watch uh, games and cartoons on the on the iPhone uh, constantly, and uh, it's a wonderful babysitter. Uh, I'm not sure how it ultimately ends up, and maybe maybe I'm putting too much negativity on that act activity, but um, it's different. It, it, it certainly is. You've been real generous with your time. Two quick questions I want to run by you. I can't avoid taking advantage of your expertise when it comes to radio. Beginning on, I think, Monday or whatever, sometime next week, you're going to see 1010 Wins, probably the best-known all-news station in the entire country. They're going to start in New York simulcasting on FM, 92.3 FM. Now, I sent an informal survey to a lot of people that I know that uh, know the radio business very well. It was really interesting. I got back a very divided consensus in terms of whether or not this was going to be successful for them. As somebody that's uh, been involved in the radio business and made a living in the radio business, as you have for the bulk of your life, do you think this is going to work, kind of doing a, an FM simulcast of an AM all-news station? Well, what's your definition of success? Ah. Um, <laughs> I mean, if it's, if it's the uh, increase in ratings – uh, or, or to the to the to the radio station to wins uh, the billing the dollars generated. Uh, I don't I don't think it's going to make a, a hill of beans. I don't think it's going to make mm-hmm. any difference at mm-hmm. all. I also heard I also read uh, in again in the New York Post that uh, WCBS and WINS uh, are owned by the same company and that they are combining staffs. So there's really only one staff and two all news radio stations so you've you've really cut you know cut the baby in half here uh and i i under i totally get the management of wins trying the best they can in a, in, in a medium that is um how should i say i hate to, i hate to say it while i'm on it but it's it's withering i mean it's it's it just uh, is is finding it very difficult to compete in the digital world, and they're trying to expand the horizon by putting it on FM. Do I do I think that people are going to switch to FM to listen to uh, 1010 Wins uh, because maybe the quality is a little bit better, the static is gone, and and the rest of it? I don't think so. Would they well, pick, and that... might might they pick up a couple of listeners uh, on the FM dial? Okay, fine, but. The biggest problem radio has is that uh, younger people don't listen to it. Well, that leads me to my next question in terms of where radio falls today. Now, it used to be that if you wanted to know whether school was closed due to a snowstorm, you'd turn on uh, John Gambling, depending on your age. It was either John B, John A, or John R, and you'd find out if school was closed. Now you get a text message to your phone. If you wanted to know what the traffic was, you'd turn to a station that did the traffic. Now you turn on your Waze app, and it tells you the best way to avoid the traffic. If you wanted to know the weather, uh, you'd turn on the radio and wait for some to tell you the temperature. Now you just speak to your smart speaker or look at your phone and see what the temperature is. Uh, the same thing with news. Not only do you uh, have the ability to pick up your phone and see whatever the news is, but you actually can curate through social media exactly what sort of news you want fed to you on a regular basis. The same could be said of, uh, of sports scores, of stocks. Um, and I'm curious, given the fact that so much of the informational role that radio used to play in people's lives can now be replaced more efficiently and with fewer commercials with um, other means. What do you see as the future long-term of spoken word format radio? 
Um, well, you could tell by my uh, couple of comments prior to what you just said, and everything you said is exactly true. And that's why that's why younger groups do not listen to the radio because they're getting all of the information that radio used to provide, including music and entertainment and everything else, um, on their on their phones, on their their their, their digital equipment, and talk radio, which I made a very nice living at and had a wonderful time at, um, it's being supplanted by podcasts that, again, to your point, target for the listener uh, or the viewer, target what, they want, they, what they're interested in rather than what mm. is being presented by uh, some host or program director or whomever. So, uh, again, uh, I think ra- radio has been through challenges since its invention in 1923. Uh, television, movies, um, again the the early internet and the rest of it, and they've they've been able to survive fairly well. Um, in fact, after the onslaught of television in the 50s and 60s, uh, radio it was the golden age in the 60s and early 70s. I mean, it was making more money than they knew what to do with. Hmm. The other thing, and, and you can't you can't take the dollars and cents out of the question that you've asked, because uh, one of the reasons that radio is uh, withering is because there is no very good way or detailed way to tell how many people are listening. They have ratings. They, they, I don't know, Frank, do they have one rating service or two still? Uh, one, one. One. That's what I thought. It's, it's Nielsen, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Well, it, they only it have was, one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, it's, 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 it's just an amalgam of uh, statistics, of uh, approximations, of guesses. Um, Whereas the digital side of things, the advertiser knows to the to the individual how many people are watching, listening, or going for what information. For you, you, you mentioned traffic and weather. Well, if you get your traffic and weather on your iPhone, you can click on, or if you go to Waze, you can click on, and Waze is going to tell an advertiser that they have John Gambling and, and Frank Morano and uh, 10,000 others that are clicking on their site. And so the, the presentation of the advertiser uh, and advertising and to the advertiser, they know what the cost is going to be and what the return is going to be because they know how many people are watching. That's what yeah. radio can't do anymore. Yeah. Or they, now, they, uh, actually ho- never, they actually never did. Uh, uh, we, had, we had ratings yeah. and we all lived and died by them, but they're not nearly as specific as the digital. Yeah, well, I'm hoping we can figure something out selfishly, uh, both for my uh, needs as a listener and as a uh, somebody that's trying to make a living uh, doing this these days. Finally, John, um, uh, last week we uh, lost, uh, or I guess two weeks ago, we lost uh, Bernard McGurk. And I know you and Bernie only worked at the same radio station for about five months 15 years ago, but uh, he certainly was an integral part of the IMIS show. And in 1990s New York, morning radio was an incredible thing to watch because of the competition 
competition that was in the mornings. You had Howard Stern, uh, especially when he was doing a local show in the mornings, who was uh, doing incredible ratings. You were doing incredible ratings on WOR. You had IMS on uh, on 660, both uh, WNBC and The Fan doing incredible uh, ratings. And Bernie McGurk was a, a big part of that. Obviously, the uh, competition on a lot of the other stations was top notch in those days as well. Wondering if you have any thoughts on uh, on Burning's passing, either as someone that knew him a little bit, as somebody that competed with his show a little bit, or uh, as somebody that uh, kind of followed the New York radio scene as closely as you did for so many years. Well, I, I give Bernie. I never really knew him, to be honest with you. I, I, I never even met him when I when we both worked at ABC for a while. Um, uh, because the, the Imus crew never came to the studios. They always worked um, outside at another location. Uh, so I never, I never saw anybody. Um, but I, 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 I admire that crew, the Imus crew, for doing what they did for as long as they did. And uh, I would I would be lying to you if, if I said I didn't used to listen to Imus a little bit and, and, and listen to uh, Bernie and uh, Charles McCord and the rest of them do their bits, which I found the the early bits, not the not not the lend ones at the end, but the early ones back in the 90s were hysterical. Moby Worm and all the rest of the nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very, very funny and very, very clever. And Bernie wrote a lot of that stuff and and produced a lot of that stuff. And I, I give him a lot of credit for that. Yeah, but you're right. But the reason the 90s in morning radio was was so exciting and so lucrative, I mean, you know, all the, all the aforementioned were, were doing very, very well, and the stations were making a lot of, mo- a lot of money. Um, but, you know, morning radio got the same hit as everybody else when mm-hmm. the digital world crashed down onto it and into it. And... Um, so, uh, again, I, one of the things I don't quite understand, and I don't spend much time on this anymore, Frank. I, I, really, I really have extracted myself from uh, radio. But I don't quite get podcasting. I get the impression on what I read that there are people out there doing podcasts that are making a, a, a whole lot of money. And I don't quite understand how that can be. But unless they have audiences in the millions uh, that are listening to their, you know, half-hour broadcast, but I, but I hear people quoted on so-and-so's podcast that seems so extremely uh, out there on content, I wonder how people find these folks. Anyway, mm. that's, that's, just, that's, I, I just, an old, the same that's just an old ex-radio guy who hey, doesn't uh, understand. John, it's always a treat uh, to talk with you. I'll look forward to seeing you whenever you're in New York next. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Hey, best Frank, you're always the best. Thank you very much. Do it anytime. Thank you. If you, if you want to comment on uh, any portion of my discussion with John Gambling, including if you want to play, paint a rosier picture uh, of the future of, uh, of talk radio, because uh, I'm going to go have to gargle with Xanaflesh at the moment, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.